Hello and welcome to ClassicalPodcast.com. I'm Lou Smoley, and it's been our great pleasure to offer you our diverse programs of classical music, which include commentary, panel discussions, and interviews, all free of charge for more than five years. We are delighted with the huge response to our programs and are proud of the fact that ClassicalPodcast.com is the most listened to website of its kind in the world. If you've enjoyed our programs and would like to have them continue as a free service, please consider supporting the website by making a contribution. Donations are made through PayPal on our website homepage, classicalpodcasts.com. We encourage you to make a monthly contribution if you can. All revenues from our donations will be used to defray the expenses of the website. Classicalpodcast.com, Inc. is a non-profit organization, and all donations are tax-deductible under applicable U.S. tax laws. We thank you for listening to our programs, hope you continue to do so, and for your generous support of ClassicalPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to the second part in our first presentation in a series called Profiles, where we're featuring the music of Alberto Ginastera. Ginastera was in his early 30s when he ventured into the field of the string quartet for the very first time. Written in an unconventional four movements, the first string quartet opens with violent gestures and jagged vertical declamations, introducing a sonata allegro movement that features a strongly syncopated and intensely savage first theme, stated by the first violin over hammering repeating chords. The second theme is a peasant dance of a rather rough character. A spectral scherzo follows, fraught with nervous energy and taut rhythms. Then comes a nocturnal movement called Calmo e Poetico, opening with a guitar-like passage on open strings, which is a characteristic of Ginastera's music in the mid-50s. The finale is an exuberant rondo, again emphasizing open fifths. It contains two episodes, mostly in 5-8 time, sharing material that is played pizzicato in the second episode. So let's listen now to the String Quartet number 1, Opus 20, written in 1948 by Ginastera and performed by the Lyric Quartet.
Thank you. 
We've just heard the String Quartet Number no. 1, Opus 20, by Alberto Ginastera, performed by the Lyric Quartet to open our the second part in our program on profiles on the music of Alberto Ginastera. The next work, written immediately after the first string quartet, uh, was the second of Ginastera's works called Pampiena, music from the Pampas, if you will. Uh, this one, Opus 21, is written for cello and piano in 1950. It's kind of rhapsodic in form, uh, and doesn't indulge in the use of folk material, even if, as the composer suggested, uh, it recalls the rhythm and melodic trends of the Argentine pampas. The cellist Aurora Natola Ginastera, the composer's wife, is also the dedicatee of the work, and we hear her performing uh, with Barbara Nisman at the piano. Pompiena number no. 2 for cello and piano, opus 21, by Alberto Ginastera. Thank you. 
Ginastera, a cellist with Barbara Nisman at the piano in Ginastera's Pompiena No. 2 for cello and piano, Opus 21. Ginastera wrote the first of his three piano sonatas in 1952 as his Opus 22. As with his first string quartet, it's also in four movements. They are marked Allegro Macarto, Presto Misterioso, Adagio Molto Appassionato, and Arondo Ed Ostinato. The work has become a staple in the modern piano sonata repertory. Even more so than his independent piano pieces, the first piano sonata shows the brilliancy of Ginastera's virtuosity for the instrument. The first movement contrasts the shifting accents of the first theme with the expressive lyricism of the second. Also, a presto movement, the scherzo that follows has a strangely eerie character, derived in part from unison writing and various techniques of touch and pedal. The adagio expands upon a recitative and builds to a climax in mid-movement. In the finale, Ginastera exploits his penchant for primitivism fraught with riveting rhythms and driving propulsion that could be compared to similar characteristics in the piano music of Prokofiev, say. We hear Mariangela Bacatello at the piano with the first piano sonata, Opus 22, by Alberto Ginastera. Thank you. 
That was the first piano sonata by Ginastera, opus 22, performed by Mariangela Vacatello. Our next work, written in 1953, a year after the first piano sonata we just heard, is called Variaciones Concertantes, opus 23. It's certainly one of the highlights of Ginastera's second compositional period, referred to by him as subjective nationalism. Here he used Argentine folk music as in the first period, but now in a more abstract, personal manner, with interesting harmonic touches. Notwithstanding the title, the work is not merely a theme and variations, but more like a concerto for chamber orchestra. The theme presented in the first of its 12 brief movements is in two parts played simultaneously. Harp arpeggios based on the open strings of a guitar and a cello solo, which enters as the work begins. After a brief interlude for strings, each of the seven variations that follow are played either by one or two solo wind instruments. The tenth movement is another interlude for winds. A reprise of the theme is presented in the eleventh movement, this time for contrabassoon. And in the finale which is marked Allegro Molto, there is a rondo which essentially reorients much of the music in the variations that preceded the movement. So here is the Variaciones Concertantes, Opus 23. It's performed by the Israel Chamber Orchestra, directed by Ginastera expert Giselle Bendor.
That was the Variaciones Concertantes, Opus 23, written in 1953 by Ginastera and performed by the Israel Chamber Orchestra, directed by Giselle Bendor. Next we come to the third of three works called Pompiena. We heard the second one uh, just within the, at the beginning of the program, uh, of the second part of Ginastera's uh, profile. Uh, the third was written in 1954 and is subtitled A Pastoral Symphony, written in a kind of three-movement symphonic form. Uh, a year after Variaciones Concertantes appeared, uh, this work was commissioned by the Louisville Orchestra, uh, and Guinestera tells us that whenever he went across the pampas, different impressions, whether lighthearted or melancholy, euphorious or calm, came to his mind. The first movement, marked Adagio Contemplativo, is divided into five symmetrically ordered sections, A, B, C, B, A. The second movement, Impetuosamente, has the character of a symphonic scherzo in form and substance. An intermezzo, marked Quasi-Trio Un Poco Menomoso, follows, uh, with a middle section that's kind of bucolic in character. The third and final movement is in three-part form. The first part builds on an opening theme until it comes to a climax, ushering in the middle section. The opening section returns later and gradually diminishes until it vanishes into smoother orchestral sonorities. Ginastera utilizes polytonal and dodecaphonic techniques here, but concentrates on material that serves his expressive intentions. We hear the work performed now by the Louisville Orchestra uh, that commissioned it, conducted by Jorge Mester. The Pompiena Number no. 3, Opus 24, by Ginastera.
That was Ginostera's Pompiena number no. 3, Opus 24, from 1954, performed by the Louisville Orchestra, directed by Jorge Mester. Ginostera's Harp Concerto, begun in 1956 but not finished until nearly 10 years later, was one of the first products of his neo-expressionism period. Soon after its completion, the composer began to make revisions in order to make the work easier to play. But the changes he made uh, were considered by some to detract from the work's impact. It was the great harpist Nicanor Zabaleta who prodded Ginastera to finalize the work. In the recording we'll hear, Zabaleta plays the concerto as it stood in 1968. Its three movements are marked Allegro Giusto, Molto Moderato, and Liberamente Capriccioso Vivace. Again, Nicanor Zabaleta is the harpist with the ORTF Orchestra directed by Jean Martinon.
Nicanor Zabaleta was the harp soloist with the uh, French radio orchestra directed by Jean Martinon in the Concerto for Harp and Orchestra, Opus 25, by Guinestero. It wasn't until some ten years after Guinestero wrote his first string quartet that he returned to this genre. The second string quartet, also from the end of Guinestero's second period of neo-expressionism, uses 12-tone technique in freestyle and microtones in the fourth of its five movements. The work begins as if following upon the conclusion of the first string quartet with harshly strident repeating figures, molto sforzando markings, and the use of the term rustico in the opening tempo marking, as in the finale of the first string quartet. A mood of desperate anguish seems to pervade the second movement that culminates in an intensely passionate climax during the middle section. A spooky scherzo movement follows with two trios that have unusual sonic effects created by means of sul ponticello and pizzicato. A melancholic rhapsody pervades the fourth movement that contains three variations on the opening violin theme. In the finale, Guinostera reverts back to the frantic intensity generated earlier in the work, now even more harsh and savage than before ending in a raging fortissimo. We hear the lyric quartet once again, this time with the second string quartet of Guinostera, his opus 26, written in 1958 and revised in 1968.
Thank <laughs> you. 
Lyric Quartet played the String Quartet Number no. 2, Opus 26, by Ginostera. After the completion of his second string quartet, Ginostera's neo-expressionistic period began to take hold. He wrote a cantata in 1960, which he called Cantata para America Magica, based on various selections of pre-Columbian source material set in more modern form by his first wife, Mercedes de Toro. The work's orchestration is quite unusual, containing more than 50 percussion instruments to be played by 13 percussionists. Guinness vocal demands for the solo soprano are extremely difficult, causing the work to be rarely performed. Conceptually, the cantata does not focus on the human drama or its destiny, but on the world's creation as described in the council book, A Mayan Text. Thus it foreshadows Ginastera's later work setting portions of the Popol Vuh of the Quiche people, a Mayan sect who flourished in the pre-Columbian era. There are several parallels in this mythical tale to the biblical story of creation and its aftermath. The cantata is divided into six sections, and they are marked Prelude and Song of Dawn, Nocturne and Love Song, Song of the Warrior's Departure, Interlude Fantastique, Song of Agony and Desolation, and finally, the Song of Prophecy. We hear Rayanne Dupuis, the soprano, with the Begalo Williams piano duo, the ensemble S, the Schlagzeug ensemble. Uh, of the Cologne Music School, uh, and, and the conductor is Stefan Asbury. In the cantata Para America Magica for Dramatic Soprano and Percussion Orchestra, Opus 27, written in 1960 by Ginastera.
We've just heard remarkable work, uh, the Cantata para America Magica for dramatic soprano and percussion, uh, written by Alberto Ginostera in 1960. It was performed by Rayanne Dupuy, the soprano, with the Bugalo Williams piano duet, the Ensemble S, the percussion ensemble of the Cologne Music School, and Stefan Asbury conducting. A year after the cantata was written, in 1961, Ginostera created one of his timeless masterpieces, his first piano concerto. The work is in four movements, and they are marked cadenza e varianti, uh, opening, interestingly enough, with a cadenza, followed by a set of ten variations in different moods, which are then uh, closed with a coda. The second part, scherzo, Allucinante, then Volce, is played pianissimo throughout and structured in arch form with five sections. The third movement, Adagissimo, moves to a tempo molto flessibile and then Movendo un poco agitato, tempo one, then Liberamente and a tempo. A lyrical interlude as it were, in three sections, ending on a 12-tone chord until it vanishes, as the composer says. The fourth movement, Toccata Concertante Presto a Bravura, functions as a dialogue between the piano and orchestra, generating enormous tension and dramatic impulse. In form, it's a rondo with seven sections surrounded by an introduction and coda. Surprisingly, the, uh, one of the first recordings of this marvelous work, and there have been many, because it's quite a celebrated work by Ginostera, uh, by one Carlos Martins, with the Boston Symphony directed by Eric Leinsdorf, appears no longer to be in print. Uh, in fact, I'm not quite sure, and I have not come across a CD transfer of this original RCA LP. To me, this is rather shocking, and I think you may agree when you hear the performance that uh, Senor Martins gives of this remarkable work. So let's listen then to the Piano Concerto No. 1, Opus 28, by Guy Nostera from 1961. Again, Juan Carlos Martins is the pianist with the Boston Symphony under the direction of Eric Leinsdorf.
And so, with the first piano concerto, performed so brilliantly by Juan Carlos Martins, with the Boston Symphony, directed by Eric Leinsdorf, we bring the second part of our three-part series uh, on profiles uh, of the music of Alberto Ginastera to a close. Next time, we'll begin with 1963 and play, I think, much of the music that the composer wrote in his last period. Until then, this has been Lou Smoley for Profiles. And please don't forget to make a contribution to the website to keep it a free service. Just go to our homepage at classicalpodcasts.com where you can donate any amount through PayPal.